Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. Today's guest is Jim Lair. Jim is the co-author of a book called Wise Decisions, A Science-Based Approach to Make Better Choices. And just like the title suggests, Jim has a framework for how to make better decisions so that we can have a better future. Now, those of us who make poor decisions, you know that the outcomes aren't so great. But when you are intentional about your decisions and they could have a better outcome, that's what we're all for. So Jim has a great framework for that. And I hope you enjoy what Jim has to say. We make a lot of decisions every day. I think it's in the thousands. It's like the little micro decisions like when to brush your teeth or picking up the phone to big decisions like a business strategy or hiring somebody. So as you can see, like the the micro decisions all the way to the big decisions do have an impact. And Jim's here to help us make better decisions. So we have a positive future. If you're a first time listener, we hope you enjoy the show. And if at the end, you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. And a five star rating and review would be amazing as well. Thanks for listening. Make sure to connect with me on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, or the the big go-to places. And then make sure to connect with Jim and check out his work as well. Have a great day and enjoy the conversation with Jim Lair. Jim, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm very excited, Brandon, to be with you. I hope we can create some value for your audience. We're going to be talking about your book, Wise Decisions, A Science-Based Approach to Make Better Choices. And it's funny, like as many times as I've probably talked about decision-making on this podcast, I will always take the opportunity to talk with somebody about decision-making because I feel like it's the secret to life and having a good one is making good decisions. So how did you end up writing a book about decision-making? Because I think it's so important. You know, it's a really interesting journey that I've been on. I've written 18 books and this one, you know, as I have started out in the whole mental toughness area and powerful engagement, all the engagement data and power of story, all kinds of areas on character, the only way to win and leading with character. But I'll have to say that as I began to look at where all the roads tend to converge, it was in the decision-making matrix. Whether you're going to manage your energy, whether you're going to really understand the power of decision-making, that's probably the one unique feature of our species is that we can pause between the stimulus and response and actually decide where we want to go in life. And so the more I got into it, and then I, on a board with uh, Dr. Sheila Olson-Walker, who has her PhD in behavioral genetics uh, from King's College in London, the School of Psychiatry, brilliant woman. We're on the same board and we wanted to uh, put a book together that actually connected with adults that could be translated into children. And we started this science-based approach and we realized that parents don't know how to teach it. They don't have any clue. They just assume it's going to happen. It's not taught in grade school. It's not taught in junior high or high school. 
It's not taught in colleges for the most part. It's not taught in graduate school. It's not taught in business schools for the most part. And it's not taught for the most part in corporate universities. And I would agree with you, Brendan, what you said at the beginning is probably the single most important competency we have as human beings. And no one really knows exactly how to go about developing this incredibly important capacity. And that's what Wise Decisions is all about. We went into the research and tried to really get a practical application of how do you teach it? First of all, how do you get it for yourself? And how do you teach others? It's the most important part of who we are as human beings, for sure. Yeah, I don't think I was being too dramatic to say that decision making is like one of the most important things in life. Because you think about even in your life and in my life, there how many fork on the road decisions have you made? Buy this house, buy that house, go to this college, go to that college, send your kids here, send your kids there. I'm like a lot of decisions that like a lot of people second guess themselves. And what I'm curious about, though, in all of your research, and you said the science-based approach, is there's a lot that goes into decision-making, how you're feeling at the moment, what's going on in your head. So like the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of like what's going on in you right now. Do you think people are even paying attention to that before they're making a decision? Because it probably varies at different points in their life. You know, it's, it was so interesting to us. We asked very large numbers of people to reflect on how many decisions they're making by noon and to actually think about what it is they're referencing when they're making those decisions. And people are astonished. They may make 100 decisions. Shall I push the snooze alarm? Shall I get up and should I forget breakfast because I'm running a little late? Should I try to go against traffic or shall I take a different route? Shall I call my mom on the way to work? Shall I plan for that dinner or shall I cancel it? I mean, it goes on and on. And, you know, in the span of like 10 minutes, you can make 20 decisions. And most of them are made without any intentional thought about it. You just reference something. And then we ask people, well, what are you referencing when you make those decisions? And most people say, I don't have any clue. I just think, well, this is probably the decision I should make. And then there are those decisions that are automatic, which are most of them. And then there are the ones that are intentional. And that's what the book is about, is to try to become far more intentional in the choices you make and to try to tap into this, what I would call a reservoir of wisdom in making decisions. And that was the entire focus of the book, is to try to help people understand that there is a place we can go, and it has to be developed to make sure we don't make one single decision, bad decision, can change the trajectory of our lives for years, maybe forever, just taking drugs or drinking and driving and having an accident and then there are the little decisions about should I work out or not work out? Should I eat healthy or not today? And you think, well, that isn't going to really have any long-term effect on me. But what we found in the research, the little decisions often become the greatest levers for the big decisions that will change the trajectory of our lives. Yeah, it's so fascinating when you put it that way. I mean, I've read somewhere, I've heard, I'm probably way off, but like we make thousands of decisions a day and like little tiny things that are just on autopilot. So how do you like distinguish between like the ones that I'm okay with being on autopilot, like these are just sort of muscle memory, or we even have like technology that might automate the decision for us. So we don't even have to think about it versus ones that you're saying could 
impact the trajectory of our life? How do you separate those two? Well, we like to have people kind of start with just becoming very, very intensely aware of the fact, oh, I'm making a decision here. Even let's say someone makes a decision, you have to do something. Now you have to make the decision. Are you going to go along with that? Are you going to be fully engaged in that whole event? Or I know you didn't want to do it. But just about everything we do has some kind of choice matrix, whether we're aware of it or not. And we developed this notion. We started to look at where are these decisions being made in the brain? And so we looked at all the neuroscience involved in that. And it looks like there are many areas of the brain that actually are involved in the decision-making process. But there is something that we came to that I think is really important for people to understand. And that is, you have your own internal decision advisor. Your own decision advisor rests inside your head. It's this inner voice that is really making these decisions for you. And we call that your Yoda your own decision advisor. It just came up with those words. And it's not the Yoda of Star Wars, but there are similarities. Because Yoda connotes this notion that you're digging into strength, a wisdom, a set of principles, values. And Yoda, like in Star Wars, had to be trained. You're not born with wisdom. You acquire wisdom. And so the whole book is about how do you develop this repository of wisdom so that when your Yoda is making decisions, it has something to reference to make sure you stay between, you know, the lines as opposed to straying off the highway and potentially getting yourself into serious trouble. Yeah, what I love about the Yoda parallel to both Star Wars and, and both internally is like a guide, you know, a guide for our decision making, the wisdom. So if we're trying to discover our own Yoda, knowing that it's it's in there somewhere. How do we strengthen that skill? Because decision-making is, it can be complicated. It's not, you know, we all make decisions, but some make them better than others. So how do we strengthen that Yoda skill? So the first thing again is this one capacity we have is awareness, you know, to try to increase your understanding of what kind of inner voice do you have? What we found is the greatest coach and the most important coach you will ever have is the one no one else hears but you. And that's that inner voice. And that's the one that's directing traffic. You can fake your public voice, but your inner voice is really reflecting kind of what's really happening between your ears. And there's an area of the brain that appears is pretty much important to kind of how do you access all these areas of the brain that are going to contribute to important dimensions of this decision that we make. One of the big breakthroughs in the research was that we found that health ignites good decision-making. If you're very healthy, if you take care of yourself, if you're getting good sleep, if you're eating good food, if you are moving, getting exercise, when you are really in a bad place, if you're sick, if you're really not in a good place physically, you're very likely not to make the kind of decisions that are reflective of a lot of deep wisdom. So one of the ways you build strength in your Yoda is you understand that to make good decisions, you have to be physically as healthy as you possibly can. 
So diet and exercise and just getting up and moving from time to time and hydrating and so forth, your physical strength connects to your Yoda strength, your ability to make tough decisions that actually go against what maybe what everyone else wants you to do. The other thing we found was that emotional health, if you're in a bad place emotionally, if you're angry, if you're upset, if you're very nervous, if you're under enormous stress, probably not a good time to make the decision that may have long-term consequences. So when you're running hot emotionally, cool off before you make your decisions. And the evidence is so clear that whether it's a road rage and you want to kill the person who cut you off, or whether or not you are just depressed and sad and really in a very bad emotional state, the decisions you are going to make about what you should and shouldn't be doing are going to be vastly different. The other thing that's important is this notion of where you are mentally. Are you able to focus on what you're doing in the present moment? Are you able to kind of, you know, think clearly? Can you bring this rational, logical side of you to the center and really examine, can you extrapolate into the future what might be the consequences if you screw this up? What are the things that really you need to consider in this decision-making that are more cognitive in nature, that are more reflective of this capacity we have for linear logical thinking? And then the last one, which was the most important of all, and the one we spend the most time in the book looking at, was the role that one's spiritual dimension, which is really the dimension of purpose values, the sense of character, your best self, your, you know, who you are morally and ethically. And that became the most important input for Yoda. What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? What's, what is life all about for me? And once you can get some of those things inputted into the Yoda sphere, so to speak, and that becomes really uh, vetted very carefully through that, you make different decisions. I will tell you, it's so interesting how people, when they think about their most important values and how does that really connect to the decision you're about to make, we often make very different choices. So our health, physical, emotional, mental, and even our spiritual, and maybe most importantly, our spiritual health is foundational to having a wise and really trusted Yoda coach for helping you make tough decisions. It seems to me, and just hearing you talk through all that, that the little decisions we make on a day-to-day basis, so those are decisions that impact bigger decisions that might change the the course of our life long-term. So it's like whether to drink water or to drink alcohol, to go for a run or to sit on the couch and watch TV. And then you got the the spiritual side, which I love the way you put that. It's, it's almost like our North Star. It's like, because I know what my purpose is and my values are, that actually informs the decisions I make. So if I'm clear headed because my physical and emotional mental state is great, because my values and purpose in life are intact, it's a lot easier to make decisions because I'm not clouded by anything else. You know, you're you're 100% right that we are complicated creatures. You know, we're not simple. I got kids. They're, they're even more complicated. <laughs> when we make an important decision, it's not just looking at one dimension. It's not just trusting your gut. A lot of people say, well, I just trust my gut. Well, your gut, the research shows, 
can be right, but it also can be terribly wrong. Let's say you're a defendant and you're walking in and, you know, one of the jurors just looks at you and says, you know, my gut says he or she is guilty. I just have that feeling. You really hope that is not going to be the reason that's going to impact the decision they make. Our guts sometimes have great wisdom. Our emotions, which are the most primitive part and have the longest history in the development of Homo sapiens, there's great wisdom in our emotions. The more we can tap into them and understand why I'm angry or am I excited or am I nervous? There's a brilliant researcher, Mark Brackett at Yale, who developed this, what is called a ruler program, where you recognize, you understand, you label, express, and regulate emotions. And the more you do that, the research is just absolutely crystal clear. You're so much healthier. You actually can manage your emotions so much better. And we have to manage our emotions if we're going to be good decision makers. So we need to have the mental, the emotional, the physical, and the spiritual dimensions all being weighed in. So what does my logical brain say? What is my intuitive brain? What do my emotions say? And most importantly, what are my deepest values? This is the person I most want to be in life. What does my character, my moral and ethical character say? And let Yoda marinate on all those sources of data. And chances are you're going to come up with a pretty good decision. And if it's really important, we have you sleep on it for 24 hours and let that brain kind of wash itself clean through the night and see what you come up with again as you think about it the next morning. And if you come up with the same decision, that's probably the one you should go with. And if it turns out it was a bad decision, you can rest easy because you did everything you could to make the best. And we don't always make the best decisions. But having a process, which is what Wise Decisions really points out, there is a way we can come to better decisions and smarter choices. And that can literally make the difference in a person's life in terms of where you end up when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, in my experience, so many people use that phrase, go with your gut all the time. And how often do we do that with big decisions? And even when you're like, in that example you gave about the jury, like, ah, uh, my gut says they're they're guilty. Yeah, the dude's guilty. How many times have we like have stories in our head that we've, you know, baggage that we have from our life or a story that is just incorrect when you apply it to the wrong situation? And how do we become aware of those stories, those preconceived notions, those cognitive biases that impact our decision making? I like your idea of taking a pause and sleeping on it. Is that just the, the simple approach to that? Or is it understanding why we tell these stories in our head? So we, we have to recognize who we are and we are flawed. We are not precision machines. And one of the things, the more you get into it, and I've written several books about this, we are a fiction-making species. We make stuff up like crazy. We don't have direct contact with the real world. We have contact with data streaming in through our five sensory portals. And then the brain crunches that data, and there's a priority given to the things that have already been loaded in. And the stuff that's not consistent with what's in there, it gets purged. So if you have biases, and we all have, you're going to probably end up with a decision that's more aligned with those biases. And the data that's coming in is completely skewed because the stuff that contradicted what you really were thinking about uh, in another way 
actually got locked out. And now how do you avoid that is you have to be aware of how easily your brain can be hijacked by these mechanisms of convenience. So we don't have to think and work so hard. We can save some energy and we end up getting what we want. What is so interesting, if you know, if you walk into a dealership and there's a car there that you absolutely just fall in love with, you go, oh my God, I love that car. The salesperson starts giving you all this stuff and it all fits in perfectly with what you want. The fact is though, you can't afford that car. It's going to actually be a burden to you and it's gonna create all kinds of problems in terms of you're getting the home you want, you won't be able to make the payments. There are a whole cascade of issues that will follow, but you got so excited and you went ahead and made that purchase and you kind of overrode all this data in your head that if you really sat down and worked the numbers, you'd realize, oh my goodness, I can't afford that car or that home. This is gonna be a catastrophe. But you walked out of the dealership, you bought that car, and two weeks later you realized, what an enormous mistake you made. And now you can't take that vacation with your kids. And you look at the car, now you hate that car because every time you get in it, it reminds you of how flawed you really are. Oh, that's hitting home. <laughs> I think we all can experience, I mean, we've had experiences like that in the past where we like make a snap judgment and it was the wrong one and then we regret it long term. Uh, that's just painful. So there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that are, you know, whether HR professionals or they're people leaders. And I want to know from your perspective, I'm sure you've worked with HR uh, before and, and leaders too. How do we help strengthen the Yoda skills for our employees, the people that we support, the people that are doing the, the hard work inside the organizations that help us grow. What have you told leaders? It's a great question, Brandon. And I would say this, I've done a lot of work with HR directors and companies just about the full spectrum. And I would say as an HR director, the healthier you can get your constituents, your employees, the better chance they will be in terms of their ability to make decisions and make decision-making maybe the highest priority in the business environment and make sure that people understand what the role physical health, emotional health, mental health, and spiritual health plays in the decision-making process. Leadership is all about decision-making. It's the decision of how you treat people. How important is kindness and compassion? How important is full engagement? Full engagement is a decision to intentionally invest your full and best energy right here, right now in what I'm doing. And that is hard work, but that's a choice. Full engagement is a choice. And you can tell people to do something, but if they feel they're forced to do it, what you have to do is say, listen, you all have, here's what I would like to see happen, but you all have the decision to whether or not you want to really get on board with this. You can drag your feet. You can be uh, a naysayer. And, you know, I understand that, but I can tell you that if we're going to get a lot of things done here, we're going to have to come together and try to make decisions that are the best. And we're going to go through a lot of decision making. After we've made decisions, we're going to look, was that a good decision? How did we get to that decision? Why did we make that choice? And how can we avoid decisions like these that have really hurt the business? And how do we make sure that we are treating people the way they like to be treated so they're more likely to feel good about the business and we want them to take care of themselves in every way, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. 
And if they get that message, the more you care about your people, the more they're going to care about the business, and they're more inclined to take decision-making more seriously. And if they're in a bad mood, they have the decision, am I going to hang this out and make everyone in the business where I am working suffer because I'm having a bad day? Or shall I make the decision that, you know, whatever's happening to me, I want to be a model for what I would really like to see as a leader for everyone. I don't want a leader to be showing all their emotions on their sleeve just because they're having a bad day. And so everything we really look at that has real value involves a choice. And that pause between the stimulus and response is maybe the most sacred space we have as human beings. And it's a tough space. And some things we want to make it easy for people to take care of themselves. So we we provide great snacks. We encourage them to get up. We have exercise facilities. We do everything. We have recovery rooms maybe where they can spend a little time and chill out and get over those negative emotions that are swelling up inside of them because there have been some layoffs and they lost some of their closest friends. We need to figure out how do we help people digest a lot of this in a really positive way so that they're not problems going forward, which will manifest in the way they make decisions and manifest in the way they either will be fully engaged or not engaged with the priorities of this business. One of the things that I've noticed last three years specifically, I mean, there's a lot of burned out people. There's the, we got the hustle culture. We've got the always connected environment of remote work. People are stressed and I'm sure that informs decision-making like poor ones. How do we fight through that? Are you recommending we take a pause, we take care of ourselves first, then make the decisions? But what about when we're when we're fast moving, busy professionals that are making decisions all the time? How do we do that when we're burned out? Uh, several years ago, I wrote a book called Stress for Success, and I reviewed all the literature on stress. And at those times, it was quite innovative in a sense that most people saw stress as really the real culprit, and it was really undermining our happiness, our health, engagement, and everything else. And the deeper we got into the research, stress is not the enemy. There was an enemy in the woodpile that was really hurting people, and the real negative factor was chronic stress, stress unabated by opportunities to process that. If I just have you lift a very small little two-pound weight, over and over again, you say, I can do this for the rest of my life. But after a while, you can't do it. You won't be able to lift and it'll damage, you know, your your elbow and, the, and bicep, triceps. So, but you could do that for the rest of your life if you take intermittent breaks. And you can do that by structuring the work environment. You shouldn't go longer than 90 minutes without a break, physical, get up and move, hydration, stabilized blood glucose levels. All of those are decisions, and you want to make it easy for employees to recognize that chronic stress will take everyone out, and then we make terrible decisions, not just at work, but maybe even more importantly at home with our family. We're short-tempered. We feel like no one really appreciates all the work you do. You're a crispy critter when you walk in. You don't pay attention to anyone. All you want to do is sit down and veg and just kind of turn on the TV and do nothing. But when I ask you what's the most important part of your life, you'll say, oh, it's my family. I really want my family to know how much I care. I'm doing everything for them. But they don't get that. What they get is a disengaged mother or father who's burned out and hates their work. And you say, well, one day you're going to grow up 
and have a job and be just like me. And they go, I don't want to be like you. I would rather do nothing than end up with a kind of, you know, walking dead approach to life that I see from you. So we have to really take a step back and realize there has to be a change in the work environment that allows people to thrive and have good health. And so that when they go home at night, they're on fire and fully engaged with family members. They have a great life away from work. Work is not life. Work is part of life. But the most important, ask any employee, they'll tell you the most important part of their life is their life at home with friends, family, community. And work is wonderful, but that's not what life is all about. And so we want to have plenty of energy. And the way you have a lot of energy is you take care of yourself physically and make sure that those energy stores are really significant. And it's just like an investor. Once you spend energy, once you expend energy, you're going to have to refill it. And if you don't, your body's going to start shutting down. And the first thing it does is it starts shutting down uh, the positive emotions. And all of a sudden, you're really angry, cranky. You're in kind of a funk. And that's what maybe your family sees. And even some of your fellow employees see that. And that, to me, is a very big sign. It's not stress that's killing us. It's chronic stress. It's the high levels of, of stress hormones, these adrenal cortical hormones, such as cortisol, that are deadly and can literally take you apart. And the fact that you're getting crusty and irritable and don't want to do anything, that's your body trying to save you because if you're still excited, you're never going to go back and actually take care of yourself. So when you're not motivated in sports, you see it all the time. That's a signal you probably need to renew and restore those reserves. And so it's the balance of stress and recovery. Most of the problems are not excessive recovery. They're insufficient recovery to balance the enormity of the stress, the energy expenditure that we have throughout the day. Jim, this has been a great discussion. That was well said, by the way. What do you want to say in you know, as closing thought or point people to your book, website, anything like that? Well, if you're, uh, if you're interested in really getting into a deep dive and looking at decision-making under a microscope, in a very accessible way, we provide lots of exercises and things that you can also do with your children, you can do with yourself, you can do with your employees. I would recommend that you check out Wise Decisions. It was released December 5th. It's gotten an enormous amount of attention, and we're very excited by that. Uh, Sheila's been all over the speaking circuit as well. But uh, it was released December 5th, and it's available, booksellers and it's also available um, on Amazon and so forth. But if you want to get in touch with me at all, you, I'm on LinkedIn, very active. I'm also, my website is jim-lair, L-O-E-H-R.com. And I hope you find value in the book. I mean, I really feel like if there's one competency we want to have in our lives and in the lives of our children and of our political leaders, it's good decision my guest today has been Jim Lair. Jim, thanks for coming on the podcast. Appreciate you. Thank you very much, Brendan. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. 
The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.